Welcome to Impact Church's podcast with Pastor Travis Hearn. Pastor Travis also serves as the team pastor for the NBA's Phoenix Suns and has served Major League Baseball as the team chaplain for over a decade. Today, he leads us with a powerful and hope-filled message. We're so glad you're tuning in, and we believe that wherever you're listening from, that God will impact your life through today's message. Thank you for joining us today. If you said that prayer and accepted Jesus into your heart, it's the best decision you could ever make. We want to connect and celebrate with you. Visit impactchurch.com for more information about our church and how you can get plugged in here with us. Be sure to subscribe and share today's message with your friends. Thanks for tuning in, and we can't wait to hear how God has made an impact in your life. You ready for the word? Let me hear you say, I'm ready. Let me hear you say, bring it. All right, let's jump in. A match made in heaven. We're continuing our series on relationships, marriage, being single, and of course, sex. Because the entire world talks about sex, but the word of God has the truth about sex. And so if you missed last week, I encourage you to go to our YouTube channel and check out last week's sermon. We definitely dug into the sex topic. It was awkward as all get. And you guys came back for some more. So here we are again. Let me ask this question. How many are here last Sunday? You were here last Sunday. Okay, that's not very many, hands down. How many of you, let's sell you out, were not here last Sunday? Let me see your hands. Okay, I think there's a few liars in church today. There's a few of you. But uh, if you missed it, I encourage you to jump in. I I want us to look at a match made in heaven because I think... Everybody wants a relationship that is a match made in heaven. We all desire this relationship before we ever enter into a relationship. Like, man, I just want this perfect relationship. I want kind of a fairy tale relationship, a match made in heaven. I've never met anybody in my life that wanted their relationship to feel like it was a match made in hell. Never, never. Nobody's ever been like, PT, I'm excited to get married, but I can't wait for all the hell we're going to go through together. I can't wait for divorce, and I'm just excited about that day. Nobody, everybody wants a match made in heaven, but studies in the United States show that 50% of all marriages end up in divorce, 50%. In fact, that's the sixth largest percentage in the world. The U.S. comes in at number six, in the world for divorce rates. And so I want to look at this for a minute because the reality is, is that a match made in heaven is built on earth. It's established on earth. It's built and established upon the principles of God's work. A match made in heaven takes enormous amounts of sacrifice, effort, energy. It takes hard work. They are built, a match made in heaven is built on the truth and it's established on trust. They take forgiveness. They take a lot of effort. And so last week we started by looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I want to look at this again as we begin today because 1 Corinthians 13, it outlines 16 different ideas about what love is and about what love is not. Now, I'm not here to talk about what the world thinks of love because the world has a skewed perspective, a perverted perspective of love. The world's version of love that you see on TV, in the movies, that you hear in radio, on music, in songs, the world's version of love is really lust. 
So we're going to look at the words version of love. And this gives us 16 things. Look at it with me in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. In fact, we did this last week. Let's do it again today. Let's read this out loud together. Ready? Here we go. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. God's love never fails. Say that out loud. God's love never fails. Human love fails. God's love does not fail. Worldly love fails. Biblical love does not fail. So last week we had so much fun. I had a four point sermon and we only got through two points. We talked about two things last week. We said, if you want a match made in heaven relationship, then first of all, you need to fight to keep the romance alive. We said, it doesn't matter if you've been married a year, five years or 5,000 years, keep the romance alive. Would you say that with me? Keep the romance alive. So I have a question before we get going today. How many have been married for at least five years? Raise your hand. Five years. Five. Okay. Good for you. Good for you. You're going strong. 10 years, 10 or more. Good for you guys. Good for you. 15 years. Come on. Keep them up. Let's give these guys a round of applause. 15 years, 15 years, 20 years. You've been married 20 years. Look, there's a lot more. 30. Let's just jump up. 30. 30 years. 30 years. You guys in the front aren't even 30 years old. 30 years. How, okay, let's, we're going to go up big. How many have been married over 50 years? Anybody at all? 50. We got some 50s. We got some 50s. Come on, you guys can give a better round of applause than that. That's 50 years. A half a century, baby. And so you guys could preach this message better than I can because Natalie and I have been married for 23 years, which is still, you know, we feel like we're just getting started, but keep the romance alive. Last week, for those of you that are single, if you're single, let me see you put your hand in the air. If you're single, just not just wave it in the air like you just don't care. I'm single like a Pringle ready to mingle. And so if you're single, listen, I I don't know what it is, but I've noticed that many times single people wish they were married and then married people wish they were single. And so there's something about the contentment of the human heart that we really need to look at in order to gain understanding of ourselves. But we talked about keeping the romance alive. Then I we talked about being single. We talked about being married. We talked about courting. If you're single, the Bible's idea of dating is actually called courting. It's not called dating. That's the American system uh, that the, 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 the world, the country has created. But the biblical system is courting, which has far more to do with 
not just the person, but the person's family. And so we looked at uh, God's design for sex, and we looked at what sex is intended for and why God created it, and that sex is a good thing. It's a godly thing. God created sex. It was his idea, but he created for sex in the context of marriage and not outside the context of marriage. And we talked about the fact that the reality is, is that this is a struggle that we all have in our world today. And so we said we got to keep that romance, that romance fire burning. We also looked at the fact that matches made in heaven, they require Christ-like communication, right? Christ-like communication. Uh, Most marriages fail, not because of infidelity, not because of going broke or some financial hardships. Most marriages that fail have failed because of communication problems, bad communication Lack of communication, miscommunication, communication problems. And so if you want a match made in heaven, we got to learn to communicate in a Christ-like manner together. How did Christ communicate? He communicated in truth. He communicated in love. He communicated with compassion and empathy. And so we looked at James 119. In fact, we're going to look at it again today. He says, let everyone be quick to hear slow to speak and slow to anger. Let's read it together. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger. So we looked at this. We said, not just with our ears, not just with my eyes. I'm not just a good listener with my ears and my eyes, but with my heart, with how I'm interpreting what you're saying and my empathy and my sympathy and my understanding for your situation. Uh, Good listening is that I listen from your perspective, not just my own perspective. So we looked at the word says I need to be quick to hear, quick to hear. Say that out loud, quick to hear. I need to be slow to speak, slow to respond. No, I didn't ask you to speak. You're, supposed, you're the ones that need this one right here. Slow to speak, slow to speak, right? Slow to respond, slow to send that text message, slow to leave that voicemail or send that email. I said, Pray before you say, pray before you say, slow down. And we looked at slow to anger, that God does not want us to be quick to be angry, but to be slow to anger, slow to anger. And so we're going to look at a few more keys today, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Look at somebody and say, I'm pretty sure this message is for you today. Come on, let them know, because it is, it's for all of us. It's for all of us. Now, before I start, how many of you have been married for over five years? Five years. How many have been married? How, how many, let's say it this way. How many have been married for under five years? Raise your hand. Look at all the people that they don't even know each other yet. They're married. They don't even know who their spouse is yet. It's only been, how many have been married over 10 years? Over 10? Can we get a little bit of house light just, just so I can see some, hand, some hands up? Over 10 years. Okay. Over 20 years. Come on, look at this, guys. Look at it. Keep your hands up for a minute. I, 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 it, okay, how many have been married for over 25 years? 25 years. 30. This is like an auction. 35. 35? A few 35s? 40. 40? 40? 40? Come on, we've got some 40s in here. 40s? 50. Anybody married? Over 50 years? Come on, there's quite a few of you. If you've been married over 50, 
Put your hand in the air and wave it like you just don't care anymore. Great job, you guys. Great job. This is the early service, so some of you have been married over 100 years. But um, you guys could preach this message better than I can. But Natalie and I have been married 23 years, and I just want to... I just want to, I want to give us some thoughts about God's word in marriage and some things that are keys to a match made in heaven. And so if you have your outlines, let's look at number one today. A match made in heaven is committed to compromise. (laughs) Is committed to compromise. Okay. The godly attitude behind a biblical marriage is not a give and take attitude. It is a give and give attitude. A biblical marriage is not 50-50. It is 100-100. That is a biblical marriage. Biblical marriage, listen, is not What you can do for me, but what I can do for thee. And if you figure that out, especially those of you that have not even been married five years, you don't even know each other yet. If you have figured that out, you will have a match made in heaven relationship. We just read in 1 Corinthians 13, 5. We just read it. It says, love is not self-seeking. Let's say it out loud. Love is not self-seeking. So it's not self-centered. It is not self-centered. It's others-centered. The day you got married. Listen, all you single people in here, raise your hand for a minute if you're single. Okay, I want to preach to you through this too. Because the day you get married, your life. (laughs) Did she just say it's over? Your life as you knew it is over. It is over. We should just close in prayer on that note right there. Man. The day you get married, your life is no longer about you. It's no longer about you. It is about them. In many marriages, they don't make it because they're self-centered. One of them or both of them are self-centered. They don't compromise. They cannot find middle ground. They're so selfish that they've built this wall of pride up between themselves, right? It's my way or it's the highway. It's about my ideas, my dreams, my wants, my needs, my desires. It's about me, me, and me. Does anybody know what that's called? That's called a narcissistic relationship. Okay, let's talk about this for a minute. What is a narcissistic relationship? It is a relationship that is selfish. The world revolves around me. I love myself, and I pretty much think everyone loves me as well. They're starving for attention. They have an inflated sense of importance. They're entitled about everything. They have no empathy, no compassion for the other person. They're arrogant and they always think they're right. And their truth is the only truth. And narcissistic relationships don't last. 
they don't make it. Narcissistic relationships, in fact, destroy themselves. So for those of you that are dating somebody today that you would say they are definitely narcissistic. I got a word from the Lord for you. The word is run. Don't stop. Get away from that. Run. Run for your life. And don't look back. Like Abraham, God told Lot, run. Don't look back. And if you're married to somebody like that today, I got a word for you too. You're stuck. There's nothing you can do. You can't run. You need to get some help. But I want to read in Philippians 4. This is the word of God. And he speaks specifically to this idea. In Philippians 4, verses 3 through 8. He says, instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should, in humility, be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. Each of you should be not only concerned about your own interests, but about the interests of others as well. I love verse 5. You should have the same attitude toward one another that Christ Jesus had, who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, he emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave by looking Like other men, by sharing in human nature, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, I love this this passage because it's talking about uh, relationships. It's saying, look at your relationships as Christ looked at his relationships. Have the same attitude toward other people that Christ had toward other people, right? It was about them. It wasn't about him. If it was about him, he would have never died a death on that cross. It wasn't about him. It was about us. And this is what Philippians 2 is saying, that God in the form of man, God in a bod came to earth, that he humbled himself to become one of us, To die on the cross for us. The ultimate depiction of humility. If you want a match made in heaven, that relationship must be built and established on the foundation of humility. Humility. That I humble myself before you. That you humble yourself before me. And I love this phrase. Look at verse 7 again. I love this phrase. It says, but he emptied himself. I think that's a great motto for marriage. That you empty yourself. That you give everything you've got into this relationship. That you give everything you can give to your wife, to your husband. Now, I want to keep going in Ephesians 5 because in Ephesians 5, I read this about a month ago, but God gives us the perfect model of marriage. He gives us the perfect model. And so this is what he says. He calls the church, which is you guys, us, we are the church. He calls us the bride of Christ. Okay? He is the bridegroom. We are the bride of Christ. Now, look what he says in Ephesians 5, starting in verse 21. Submit to one another. Out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband's the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is Savior. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. Cleaning her by the washing 
with water through the word and to present to her him her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but only and blameless in this same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself Okay, so what he's doing is he's giving us a biblical depiction of marriage. He's saying, you want a biblical marriage? I submit to you, you submit to me. I submit to Natalie, Natalie submits to me. I try to outserve you, you try to outserve me. I try to outsacrifice for you, you try to outsacrifice for me. This is what a marriage, a biblical marriage looks like. And so God gave us an example. He said, here, husband's wife, you need a love like this, right? You need a love like this. And I set the model for you. You are my wife and I died for you. I laid my life down for you. So he says, wives, submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. Husbands, submit to your wives and love your wife and give yourself up for her. Now, I want to rewind to the beginning of this chapter because... This whole chapter is good. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 1. Look at what this first verse says. This is before we get down to the marriage part. In Ephesians 5, 1, he says, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us. And he offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. So look at those first two words. Imitate God. Imitate God. Imitate God. He says, in everything you do, because you are his children, right? That's what children do. They imitate their parents. That's what they do. They want to look at their parents as a model for their lives, and they imitate their parents. They want to be like mommy. They want to be like daddy. That's why if you're a parent, parenting is a massive responsibility. Because you know that old saying, do as I say, not as I do, is not reality. Because kids are going to do what you do and not what you say. Has anybody figured that out? Kids are going to do what you do and not what you say. So I like this verse. He says, imitate God, be imitators of God. You are his dear children. Our children emulate, they imitate their father, their mother, And he's saying that we should do the same thing when it comes to our relationships and in everything. Imitate God. If you're going to imitate somebody, you kind of got to study that somebody. Right? If I'm going to imitate God, I need to know what God was like. I need to know how God communicated. I need to know how God handled tough situations, stressful situations. Imitate God. It's like a lot of people I've heard, you know, friends and media and just different people. They say, man, Kobe Bryant, man, he, hey, 
He was a great, you know who plays a lot like Kobe Bryant? Devin Booker. He plays a lot like him. He looks like him. His fadeaway shot looks like he, he looks like Devin. Devin grew up watching Kobe Bryant. People say, well, Kobe, man, he, he looked a lot like Michael Jordan. I mean, he had the same, the same like body style, the same, the same shooting style. He looked a lot like Michael Jordan. He grew up watching Michael Jordan. You imitate the people that you look up to. And so God is saying, if you're going to be successful and you want a biblical marriage, you've got to imitate God. Imitate God. Love your spouse so much that you'll give your life up, your dreams up, your desires up, your passions up. Love your spouse so much that you surrender your flesh to theirs. And this is what John 15, 13 says. It says, greater love has no one than this, that somebody lay his life down for his friends. Compromise. Compromise. Find some middle ground. Compromise. And don't stop compromising. Let's look at number two. The second thing is a match made in heaven is committed to their commitment. Is committed to their commitment. Now, You know, the Bible speaks extensively about marriage, about relationships, about sex, about romance, about courting. The Bible, it it speaks extensively in full detail. Jesus himself spoke about marriage. He spoke about divorce. He spoke about adultery several times through the Gospels. I want to just share one part in Matthew chapter 19. Look at this. I'm going to read verses 3 through 6 and also verse 9. These are the words of Jesus Christ himself. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. And they asked him, Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Verse 4. Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning... The creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be reunited to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two. They're one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. That's a strong word, yeah? That's a strong word. That's a strong word. Even the baby didn't like it. Baby's like, I don't like that. And I'm still 30 years away. From being married. But I don't know if I like that. Right? So he said, look. Is it okay, Jesus? They're trying to test. Is it okay you could divorce for any and every reason? Because that's what's happening. That's what's happening. And by the way, that's what's happening today as well. Nothing's changed in 2,000 years. Is it okay that we divorce just for any and every reason? Like I just decide I don't like you anymore. I just decide I like somebody else. Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. It is not okay. Divorce is not okay. In fact, The word says in Malachi that God hates divorce. I talked about this last week. 
God hates divorce. He does hate divorce. He doesn't hate the person who got divorced. He hates divorce for the same reason that you and I hate divorce. It's hard. It's painful. It is a miserable time for those who have gone through it. So he says, two became one. Two became one. Two became one flesh. What God has put together, let no man, let no nothing, let no devil, let no enemy separate. And then he says this final statement. Anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Now, I understand that many, many of our church family have gone through the pains of divorce. I understand that. I know that some are going through the pains of divorce even today. And I want you to know that I feel for you. I feel for your family If you have children, I feel for your children. I was a child who went through uh, two divorces with my mother and father and then my mother and stepfather. Okay, It's painful in every possible angle that you can think of. It is painful. And so I feel for you. I feel for you. My prayers and my heart go with you. You can preach this message better than I can preach this message. Marriage is tough. It takes work. Relationships are complicated. Divorce is awful. We would all agree with that. Okay. If you've been divorced today, I do want to tell you something very important. That that divorce does not define you. God's grace defines you. God's grace defines you. God's grace defines you. That divorce does not define you. God's grace defines you. You are a child of the most high God. He loves you. But I do want to talk about commitment for a few minutes. Because I think the the nation that we live in, the world that we live in, the culture, the society that we lived in is depleted of commitment. We are depleted of commitment. And commitment is a problem in our society. It's a problem in our culture. And by the way, commitment and lack of commitment starts way before marriage. It starts way before marriage. Listen, some people, they're living together. They're having sex together. They have no intention of getting married. I have a question for you. If that's you, I'm not judging you. I have no right to judge anybody in any area of their lives because I am a sinner saved by God's grace, just like all of us. But I have a question. If you're living with somebody and you're having sex with that somebody and you really have not talked, you really have no intention in your heart of getting married. I have a question for you. What's the point? What's the point? I mean, do you love her? Do you love him? See, some people want the convenience of marriage without the commitment to marriage. Some people, they want the benefits of being married without the commitment to being married. Do you understand what I'm saying? Is anybody here hearing me what I'm saying today? See, see, I love you enough. I love you enough to have sex with you. I just don't love you enough to marry you. There's softer messages at churches down the road. This one's a little intense at times. 
I love you enough to have sex with you. Yes, I do. But I do not love you enough to marry you. If I were a woman, I would give that man the Christian bird. And I would be like, you need to step off until you put a ring on that finger. I ain't sleeping with you because here's why. Here's why. Our culture has told us that this piece of paper that the state issues is the bond. But God's word teaches us that sex is the bond. Sex is the bond. Sex is the bond. Sex is the bond. And so we got to make sure that we understand biblically what God is saying about our relationships. Listen, we've got the whole thing backwards and upside down. Commitment is a sickness in our culture today. Our culture is committed until you hurt my feelings. Our culture is committed until I lose my feelings. I'm committed until I develop different feelings. Listen, God's love, biblical love, is so much more than a feeling. It's a choice. It's a commitment. It's a decision that I stick to. You think Jesus felt like dying on the cross? I'm committed until you disagree with me. And then I'll just cancel you. Right? I, I, I have an idea. Let's cancel this demonic cancel culture that has taken root in our nation. See, the fact is this. In every relationship, in every marriage, every sibling, every nation, every political party, every human on the planet, they're never going to always see eye to eye. They're never going to agree on everything and really on anything. That's the nature of relationships. Nope, I'm not always going to agree with you, but I still love you and I'm still going to buy your hamburgers. I'm still going to come to your restaurant. You might not have the same political views as I do, but you're still my brother and you're still my sister and you're still an American and I'm here to support you. The reality is I just want a hamburger. And so what we have to come to terms with is that this cancel culture is, listen, it's not biblical. It's not biblical. Let me tell you why. You have blown it again and again. You've done the wrong thing over and again. You're a sinner over and again. I am a sinner over again. I have failed my wife. I have failed my kids. I have failed my friends. I have failed my family. I have failed my Lord and Savior. He has not yet canceled any single one of us. He doesn't cancel us. Instead of a mob mentality, by the way, this mob mentality goes, goes, goes far back before the, the, the current generation that we're living in. Jesus was crucified because of a mob mentality. Crucify him. Yeah, crucify him. You don't even know what you're talking about. Just crucify him. 
Should we crucify? Yes, kill him. Murder him. Murder this guy. He's done nothing. He's laid no hand on anybody. He's injured nobody. He's healed the sick. He's raised the dead. He's given hope to the hopeless. He's set the addicts and the captives free. Crucify him. Mob mentality. Kill him. He was hated. He was tortured. He was humiliated. He was completely, slowly, painfully murdered by capital punishment for doing absolutely nothing. See, we need to learn to build bridges and not walls. In marriage, in our nation, in our world, build bridges, not walls. We'll never see eye to eye with anybody. We need a new trend to sweep across the nation. And instead of a cancel culture, we need a new trend called committed culture. We need a committed culture to sweep across this nation that says, you know what? I may not agree with you, but I love you. I love you. Committed to my relationship, committed to my marriage, committed to my families. Look, if you're married today, I said this last week, but looking over the fence is not an option. Looking over the fence is not an option. Divorce is not an option. If you're married today, if you're single, you're thinking one day you might want to get married. Divorce is not an option. It's not even in your vocabulary. Don't even ever bring it up. Even when you're at your most angry moment that you've ever had in your life, never, ever, ever bring the word up. It's off limits. It's off limits. You want a match made in heaven, divorce is off limits. It's off limits. You know, when you got married, you read vows to each other. Do you remember those things? Vows are the deepest promise you could make to anybody. You pledged your life, your soul, your heart to the other. I don't know if you remember these vows. I only had one person say they actually said their vows to each other just now. But we all read these vows. I said vows. My wife said vows. I said, I, Travis, take you, Natalie, to... Uh, be my lawfully and spiritually, because to me it's bigger than lawfully. I quite frankly don't care about the lawfully part. But I take you, Natalie, lawfully, spiritually, be my, to be my wife, right? To be my wife. And then we go through these vows and we say to have and to hold. We like that one. We say to love and to cherish. That sounds so beautiful. We say for better, for worse. Y'all know worse can be really bad, right? Do <laughs> you understand? What you're saying when you, when you give your vow, for better, for worse. Like, worse could be really, really, really bad. So if you're single, you need to consider what you're committing to. Worse could mean sickness. Worse, worse could mean betrayal. Worse could mean rejection. Worse can be really, really awful. We say for richer, for poor. We say, I pledge my love to you no matter what. I don't care if we're wealthy or if we're broke. It's like no, no gold digging in this marriage vow. No relationship. In sickness and in health. So no matter what happens to you, I will be there by your side. No matter what life throws at you, I will be there. I will never leave you. And then we say this. We say till death do us part. Till death. So that's what the vows are. Till death do us part. But... We think it says till stress do us part. Or we think it says till debt do us part. Or until our differences do us part. Or until the devil does us part. We said until death does us part. This is commitment. This is our vow. This is our promise. 
to stay committed to what we're committed to. Let's look at number three. If you want a match made in heaven, number three, it's got to be centered on Christ. Centered on Christ. Centered. Your life, their life, and your life together has to be built on the foundation of God's word. Your life, their life, and your lives together have to be built, established on the foundation of God's word. Listen, if you're single today, never settle for less than God's best. Because God has a best for you, but the devil has a counterfeit for you. And if he can stick that counterfeit in your face, and you're like, yeah, I'll take it. You are not going to live God's best life for your own life. He has a best for you. Listen, if you're single, here's some things you got to think through. If you're single, they need to passionately love Jesus Christ. Or you don't date them. Wait, wait, wait. You know what I'm saying? You're out at the club and you're like, you know, getting, you know, you're out dropping it like it's hot. And you know what I'm saying? You're out. First of all, you're in a club. What do you expect to meet? Jesus incarnate? Like... Like, are you a Jesus fanatic? Yes, I am. Like, throwing back shots and, like, like, like the first, the first thing is like, you know what? You, you, I gotta say, you know, 24 years ago, when Natalie and I fell in love, and we were dating, you, you know, you want to know what the sexiest thing, the sexiest vision of her that I have. Get your mind out the gutter, bro. (laughs) It was in church with her hands lifted up and tears streaming down her face. This section don't want none of that. This section don't want none of that. That godly woman, that godly man. And I think as single people, it's like there's some questions. I got some questions for you. Do you love Jesus? Yes, I do. Do you believe in the word of God? Yes, I do. Do you think that the word of God is what establishes our values? Yes, I do. Do you go to church regularly? Yes, I do. Okay. Tell me about your prayer life. Like, do you believe in the power of prayer? Yes, I do. Do you pray? Yes, I do. You know what? Let's pray. You pray for me and I'll pray for you. If you can't pass that test... Find somebody else. Find somebody else. And I know some of you are like, no, no, no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win her to the Lord. I know it. She's smoking hot, man. And I can't pass this one up. I'm going to win her to Jesus. You know, it's like dating evangelism. You find you're a dating missionary, right? You're like, it is my mission to date and win them to Christ. Listen, that is not going to work. And some of you in here today, you've been married for a long time to somebody that they're not a believer. And you could tell that younger generation, or I should just say any generation of singles, that that is not going to be a match made in heaven marriage. So if you're single today, you need to ask some questions before you start dating somebody. And it needs to be, is their life centered on Jesus Christ? Listen, if you're single today, I know people have told you this, but I just want to be the coach in your mind that tells you this. You never marry 
just the person, you marry the whole family. So if you don't like the family, run. Because you marry the whole family. That's the idea of courting. It's not just about the person. It's about the family. And I will tell you that who you marry, it will either make you or break you and your family. All of them. And I know way too many people who love the Lord, but their spouse doesn't. And it makes their marriage incredibly difficult. I want to read to you a verse that you're familiar with in 2 Corinthians 6.14. These are the words of the Apostle Paul. He says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? I like this verse because you can think of it in terms of marriage. You can think of it in terms of your closest friends. You can think of it in terms of business partners. If I'm going to partner personally with a business or an owner of a business, or if somebody approached me and said, hey, uh, PT, would you consider being an investor partner or whatever in this particular business? I would go right back to this verse immediately, immediately and say, is this a person of God? Is this a man of God? Is this a woman of God? Because let me just say this. The way I would do business is I would build my business on the principles of the word of God. And so if they're not a believer, they're not building their business on the principles of the word of God. That's how you deal with employees, how you build relationships. That's how you manage money. That's the generosity of the business. If if my business was making shoes and I was selling $10 million a year in shoes, my business would give a minimum of $1 million to God's church. I would tithe as a business and I would tithe as a profit, as a profit owner. I would tithe on both. I'm not doing business if somebody doesn't agree with that. And I could go on and on about the principles of building a business. But it's also about your mate, your wife, your husband. Don't be unequally yoked. He's trying to save us some hardship here. He's trying to save us a life of hardship. Don't be unequally yoked. See, your spiritual beliefs, they shape everything about your life. If I'm a believer and my wife is not, I believe in the power of prayer. She does not. I believe in the power of God's word. She thinks it's a fairy tale. I want to have babies. I don't want to read to them every night before they go to bed. I want to read to them out of a children's Bible. I want to read and I want to sow God's seed. If she's not a believer, she thinks it's all a fairy tale. Even the way we discipline, the way we communicate with our children, if one's not a believer, they're not on the same page. One wants to go to church, one doesn't. One wants to go to Bible study to help your marriage, one doesn't. One wants to go to Christian counseling, one doesn't because they're not a Christian. One wants to pray together, the other one doesn't want to pray together, they don't believe in prayer. One of you wants to put God first with your tithe. You want to do exactly what I just told you. I want to give 10% of my income back to the Lord. The other is like, I don't. Do you see the complications? It's complicated. I want to take my kids to church. I want to raise my babies in the things of God. And so when Christ is our centerpiece, our centerpiece, listen, when he is our centerpiece, our relationship has the strongest foundation possible. 
when he's the centerpiece. Every problem Natalie and I have ever navigated through, we navigate through the middle of scriptures together. Every problem we've ever gone through together, we always end up going back to prayer in the word, prayer in the word, prayer in the word, prayer in the word. Every problem that we go back to through prayer in the word, God fixes it every single time. He fixes it. He takes care of it. He sets it straight. So I'm building my foundation on Christ. Jesus described this as building your house upon the rock. When the rains come down and the floods come up, your marriage will stand. Your family will stand. Without Christ, we're building a foundation. We're building a relationship on sinking sand. Let me read this passage to you in Matthew 7. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus said, Everyone then who hears these words of mine, And does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came. And when the winds blew and beat on that house, but did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell. And great was the fall of it. Great was the fall of it. Anything can be a house. Whoever builds his house, it could be a marriage. Whoever builds their house could be your family with your babies. Builds their house could be your business. Anyone who builds a house could be a nation. A nation. See, what a lot of people don't understand is if we would become a nation that was established on the foundation, the word of God, these problems that we have would no longer be problems. We're trying to fix problems with laws, but you can't fix problem with laws. You can put up red tape with laws, but only Jesus Christ can change a human heart. And the human heart... When it's changed is what changes a nation. It's what changes a nation. So we need to make sure that Christ is our centerpiece. And we're going to continue this message series next week. Are you guys ready for part three? Next week is going to be part three. And uh, pray for uh, a couple people today. You noticed uh, Amelia is not here singing today. She is engaged to marry my nephew in January. And so my nephew is also our audio engineer. So if it's ever too loud for your old ears, you can blame him. And uh, I'm just kidding. He, he's, they're, they're both so remarkably talented. It's crazy. But he had to have an emergency surgery. So he's at the hospital right now. And so if you could pray for his name is Philip. And uh, we have asked Amelia just to stay with him and and be with him. And, uh, you know, life is hard. Life is hard. It's tough, but God is greater. God is greater. Amen? Amen. God is greater. Would you bow your heads with me? And let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this great day, Lord. We thank you that your word, God, it speaks to 
every situation we're in in life. God, it speaks to our depression. It speaks to our loneliness. It speaks to our anxieties. It speaks to our relationships. It speaks about being a parent, about being a child. Father, we're so grateful for your word so that we can navigate through this life. We depend on your word to lead us through. God, I want to start by praying for marriages today. As I know that many marriages, they're going through some some tough times. And I just pray that as they navigate through these difficult times, that they center their marriage upon you and your word. I pray that you surround them with the peace of God that surpasses all understanding that guards our hearts and our minds. God, that even when we're in the middle of a storm, we can feel your presence and your peace and ultimately experience your power. God, I pray for restored marriages. I pray for healed marriages. I pray for marriages that seem dead. God, that you raise them back from the dead because you are the God of the resurrection. And God, for those who are single, whether they're younger in years or older in years, God, I just pray that you would be their everything. You would be their contentment. You would be their passion and their joy. And God, that you know the right person for them, that that person comes along at the right time. God, that we don't have to seek another person. We don't have to seek a relationship. We don't have to seek a husband or a wife. As Matthew six thirty three says, that we just seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then everything will be added to us. And so, God, we seek you. And we trust you with the rest of our lives. Maybe you're here today and maybe you've not considered becoming a Christian at this point. You've not surrendered your life to Christ. If if that's you today, I just want to invite you to take a moment to do that. Make Christ first in your life. Make Jesus Christ number one in your life. Build your life, your individual life on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And when the winds come and the rains come, your life will stand because you're anchored. You're anchored. Your life is anchored in the word of God. If you're here today and that's you, you say, yeah, I wanna wanna take a step of faith and give my life to Jesus Christ today. I want you just to pray from your own mind, your own heart, your own words, and just, just pray. Jesus, today I give you my life. I want to serve you. I want to live for you. Even if that means I died for you. Jesus, you died for me. And that's what true love is. When we lay down our life for those that we love. So God, thank you for love. Thank you for true love. Thank you for a model of what biblical love and godly love looks like. Father, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. We all say... Amen. Amen. Let's give Jesus a round of applause. Thank you for joining us today. If you said that prayer and accepted Jesus into your heart, it's the best decision you could ever make. We want to connect and celebrate with you. Visit impactchurch.com for more information about our church and how you can get plugged in here with us. Be sure to subscribe and share today's message with your friends. Thanks for tuning in and we can't wait to hear how God has made an impact in your life.